This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Well, we've still got a little bit of 1 Peter left. Today, we've got Peter's instructions um, on what to do. You know, we live, the whole book has been about how Christians are to live in the midst of a hostile world. And we can relate to that. We live in a hostile world. And so how are we to live in that hostile world? Uh, The three things he tells us in this are to humble ourselves, to be humble, to cast our anxieties on Jesus. You know, we've got got lots of anxieties because of this this, um, hostile world that we live in. Lots of anxiety, lots of worry. He tells us to cast those on him. And he tells us to resist the devil. Those are the three things um, that we're going to get out of this text. So let's go ahead and read our text, beginning in verse 6 of chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you tell us how we are to live in the midst of this world. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you with our worries and our cares and our concerns and and give those to you. Lord, help us this morning to have ears to hear and eyes to see. And Lord, I pray that you would give me strength and grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And the first word I want to pay attention to is the word, therefore. Um, And, of course, the old adage goes, when you see a therefore, you go back and see what it's there for, right? Um, The last passage also had to do with humility towards the end. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So there's this principle. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, Jesus came to save sinners. He came not for the well, but for the sick. He came not for the righteous, but for the sinners. Uh, We can think of the story of uh, the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee stood on the corner and, and prayed with his hands up where everybody could see him and said, oh God, thank you that I'm not like this other sinner over here, but I fast and I tithe and all these things. And then Jesus told about the publican, the tax collector over on the corner who just couldn't even look to the sky and he beat his breast and he said, 
have mercy on me, a sinner. Which one is, has favor in God's sight? Well, it's the sinner. It's the one who beats his breast and says, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And so we see this principle, God opposes the proud, the proud one who is praying, thank God I'm not like this sinner. And he gives grace to the humble. He says, because of this, because, because of this principle that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, then we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, there is a thing as false humility, a kind of a humility that um, uh, you can almost see right through. A kind of a humility where um, you're like trying so hard to be humble, you're almost proud of it. (laughs) But no, when we humble ourselves, we're not concerned about what other people think. We're humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. He's the one that we're concerned about. He is our audience. And it tells us here to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That term, the mighty hand of God, we see uh, elsewhere in the Bible. And we, I think particularly of the Exodus. Whenever God saved his people out of Egypt, uh, it tells us that he saved him with a, them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You see the same thing throughout the uh, prophets referring back to the Exodus about how God saved his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And when we uh, humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, uh, we know that this mighty hand is not outstretched in order to hit us down, but it is a mighty hand that is there to protect us and to comfort us and to save us. That's what God's mighty hand is there for. It was by His mighty hand that He rose Jesus from the dead, and it's by His mighty hand that He is able to protect us from uh, any kind of, of difficulties that we may face in this life, in this hostile world, in this present evil age. We're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that... We don't humble ourselves so that we can stay there. <laughs> but he tells us in the text itself, he, we, we humble ourselves so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. This goes back to Jesus' teaching, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Um, again, there's that false humility. Uh, I can think as a child of remembering, uh, learning this uh, Bible verse, the first shall be last. And uh, so whenever we would stand in line for the water fountain or whatever, we would, uh, I, I would uh, want to be the last one in line because I thought there was something praiseworthy about it. <laughs> but no, um, we do seek to be exalted. He promises to exalt the righteous one day. And so when we humble ourselves and we trust Him that He will see us through, then one of these days we will be vindicated. As we see uh, through the book of 1 Peter, one thing that happens to believers is we can be maligned and we can be slandered because of our good behavior. 
And we see that in the world today. Uh, when in the world today, uh, if we stand up for biblical truth concerning human sexuality, uh, concerning the fact that marriage is between a man and a woman only, uh, the, the, the fact that uh, uh, God's design for uh, human sexuality is, is for a man and a woman to be married uh, um, uh, for a lifetime, um, and that there should be no sexual activity outside of marriage. Um, if we say that, we're told we're bigots. We're told we're prudes and all these kinds of things. And yet, um, while we may be slandered in this life, one day we will be vindicated. And we see that here. At the proper time, He may exalt you. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. The first thing I want to see here, um, it says in the translation I read from, casting all your anxieties on Him. Some translations may say, cast all your anxieties on Him. I know the NIV says, cast all your anxieties on Him. Uh, But my translation here says, casting all your anxieties on Him. Now, it's not really that big of a deal, uh, but yet um, I think it's important for us to remember uh, the verb there uh, in, in the Greek is not an imperative, but it is a participle here. And what that does is it shows us uh, that it's connected to what came before. And, and when it says casting all your anxieties, that's connected to the humbling ourselves. Uh, it's not just a new thought where he's moving on to something different. It's connected. And so when it says casting all your anxieties, it's, um, may, may, you may think of it as humbling your, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God by casting all your anxieties on him. Those two things are connected. If we are proud, then we will try to carry all of our worries ourselves, won't we? We won't want anybody to help us. Uh, and, and, and we'll try to carry a burden all by ourselves. But if we're humble, then we'll cast those on the Lord. Uh, he tells us to cast our anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Um, one of my favorite preachers concerning this text says, uh, you can't cast them if you don't have them. Now, some people will say, well, um, it's a sin to be anxious. It's a sin to worry and all those things. Um, but here, it's assuming that we are going to have anxieties, isn't it? Cast all your anxieties on Him. If you don't have anxieties, then what are you going to cast on Him? So, we ought not to feel guilty for having anxiety and worry. But instead, what we should do when we have anxiousness and worry is cast them on the Lord. He he wants for us to bring those things to Him. His heart uh, is is a a gentle and lowly heart, like the book that I gave you all. (laughs) He, He wants us to come to Him with our anxieties, with our fears, and to bring those to Him so that He can comfort us. We cast our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. He longs for us to bring those to Him. 
The next thing, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Here, um, we want to be serious. We want to have a grasp on reality. We don't want anything to cloud our minds. Um, oftentimes, uh, it uses this term sober, and it's, it's just uh, thinking particularly of, of having a, a somber uh, um, uh, seriousness, but at the same time, it uses the word for sober, not drunk. Um, we, sh- as as believers, as Christians, uh, uh, now, I don't believe that the Bible forbids um, the use of alcohol, but it does forbid drunkenness. And in the same way, uh, anything that would cloud our mind. Anything that would um, cause us to, to not think clearly, whether it's drugs or alcohol, whether it's marijuana or any other kind of thing, um, if, it's, if its use is to uh, make us in an altered state of consciousness or something like that, um, then we're not being sober. We're not being watchful. We have an adversary. The devil who is prowling around like a roaring lion wanting to kill us and eat us is what this text tells us. And so we've got to be sober minded. Uh, When we know that the enemy is out there on the attack wanting to get us, the last thing we want to do is not be in our senses. And just imagine being out on safari in uh, in, in, in Africa. And you know that there are lions all around. You can hear them maybe off in the distance. That is not the time to get drunk. (laughs) Be sober-minded. And he tells us here, your adversary, the devil. We have a personal adversary. Here, it tells us. Sometimes, whenever it talks about Satan um, in, the, in the Bible, some, some scholars will say, oh, that's, that's not really a, a personal devil. That's more just a personified uh, uh, evil. But here, the text is very clear. It's talking about an adversary, a personal devil that is, is out there, and he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not hiding himself. He's roaring. But he prowls around looking for someone who is not on the alert. Looking for someone who he can take advantage of. We need to be alert. And verse 9 says, resist him firm in your faith. When the devil comes at us with trials and tribulations, when the devil comes at us with his attacks, when he comes at us with his lies, we need to resist him. We need to be firm in our faith. We need to trust in the promises of God. We sang, standing on the promises. We need to trust in his promises. Trust that he will deliver us. Trust that he will provide a way out. And stand firm in our face. Resist the devil when he comes to us. Knowing that, in this, that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And we can think of the suffering that's going on by Christians throughout the world. A few years ago, we were all 
shocked to see the news reports of those Christians in orange attire being walked out onto a beach and beheaded by Islamic radicals. Um, And here recently, we can think of what's going on with Christians in Afghanistan. But you can think of places all over the world. Um, You can think of the South Sudan. You can think of China. You can think of uh, all kinds of places around the world where Christians are suffering. When we face the suffering and hostility that we face in this world, we got to remember we're not alone. We have brothers and sisters all over the world who are also experiencing suffering. This suffering is brought about here, it looks like from this text, by the devil who wants to devour us. But yet throughout the book we've seen how God is the one who uses these trials to shape us and mold us into Christ-likeness, isn't it? These things fit together. You might think back to the story of Joseph. Joseph, uh, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, um, when his brothers uh, reconciled with him at the end of the book of Genesis, his brothers came to him and they were afraid. And Joseph told them, don't be afraid. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, what Joseph's brothers did was evil. And what Joseph's brothers did was wrong, yet God intended what happened to Joseph to happen to him so that the people would be saved from the famine. At the same time, we can think of the cross. And Peter talks about this in the, um, in the second chapter of Acts. Um, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, he says that wicked men crucified Jesus But they were doing what God had foreordained before the foundation of the world. Who crucified Jesus? Well, it was God's plan, and yet wicked men did it. And in this world that we live in, in this hostile world, the devil comes at us with all kinds of things to shake us, to try to get us to give up on our faith, to give in to temptation. And yet at the same time, God is in control. And he's using uh, the trials and tribulations that we face to bring about holiness, to refine us like fire, like gold through fire. We're to be alert, we're to get a grasp on reality and, and see what is taking place. Verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It doesn't feel like a little while sometimes, does it? But here, Peter says, after you have suffered a little while, it may be a lifetime. It may be a lifetime that we suffer. It may be years. It may be decades. And yet... In comparison to the future glory that will one day be revealed, it's just a brief, momentary affliction, isn't it? 
Peter says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, He's a God of grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. Who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ. He has called us out of darkness and into the light. Out of death and into life. He's called us and transported us from the, the, the sons of disobedience into the children of God. He has called us to His eternal glory in Christ. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This world is a hostile place and we do suffer many things. And yet one day, we're reminded of chapter 1, we have a future hope that is unfading, that is imperishable, that is undefiled, and is kept in heaven for us. He will one day come and He will wipe away every tear from every eye. He will one day come and there will no longer be any sickness, no longer be any death, no longer be um, war, no longer be any conflict, but we will live in harmony with one another forever. And finally, the last verse here says, To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Who is that one that this is talking about? To Him. It says, The God of all grace. The God of all grace. To Him, to God, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Um, In the Greek there... um, Sometimes when you have a, the verb is or to be, it's, it's actually omitted. And it just has a subject and, and, and uh, a predicate, and there's no verb there. And so you have to supply the verb. Uh, here, uh, literally what's there is to him the dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's no verb. So it says uh, to him be the dominion forever and ever uh, in, in the translation I'm reading from, which um, it's a wish in that way. It's wanting and desiring for that to happen. Uh, yet because there's no verb there, I, I would say you could also put is there. To him is the dominion forever. And right now he is already king of kings, isn't he? He is already, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, He is interceding for us, as you said, but He is also ruling over His creation. He is in control. And whatever we face in this life, whether it be coronavirus, whether it be cancer, whether it be financial ruin, whatever we face, He is in control. So, we humble ourselves. We cast our anxieties on Him. We're watchful of our enemy. Resisting Him. And we trust that God is working all things together for our good and His glory.